We'll continue our series on shameless life, and uh, we'll begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for bringing us into your family, bringing us close. Father, I thank you that there is no distance in the Spirit, that you live on the inside of every believer, leading us, guiding us, prompting us, revealing to us, strengthening us, giving us light, giving us understanding. Father, I thank you for your Spirit who lives on the inside of us, that he even makes our body live and function. Father, thank you so much for setting us free from the enemy and from the power of the enemy and setting us free from the flesh and the dominion of flesh that we don't have to yield to our flesh, Father, but that we can yield to your spirit where there is life and peace and freedom and help and strength. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that he will uh, speak through my mouth. Father, that he'll open up and enlighten uh, our minds and our spirits and our hearts to your word. Father, that he shows us great and mighty things that we don't know apart from him. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, because the things which are seen are temporary or subject to change. In other words, if you can see it, it could change, right? <laughs> there could be a massive change, a total alteration, uh, totally different <clears throat> if you can see it. Why? Because uh, things change through believing and speaking. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Then if we go back up to chapter 4, verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Margin of my Bible actually says, we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What is a man's conscience but his spirit? And so we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Well, this tells us right here that you could be a believer and you could still be dominated by shame or the fear of not measuring up or the fear of, of um, that you are actually a bad person. Well, the, the devil wants you to think that and the devil wants to dominate you through your thinking. If he can mess up your thinking, he'll mess up your believing. And if he can mess up your believing, he'll mess up your mouth. And if he messes up your mouth, he'll mess up your living. In other words, what we think first and then we believe and then we speak, that's what's going to happen. Uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it matters how we think in our hearts and what we think about who we've been made to be and how we identify. I actually want to uh, read to you in Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation and then in Young's Literal Translation. Is somebody doing scriptures? Okay, so I don't have to say it as many times. So uh, we're going to read in Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from the slavery in Egypt, from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So I want you to notice he's kind of bracketed this whole statement or put a line uh, in the sand of I am the Lord. This is what's going to happen. I am the Lord. And in other words, I myself in making this come to pass, I will free you from the oppression and will rescue you from the slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. So uh, we've said uh, pretty much every week in this series that Jesus didn't come in the world, into the world to make bad people good. Every other worldview, every other religion, the goal of that religion is to take a bad person and make them good or to take this person and take the badness out so that this person can be good. And pretty much every other religion is, is trying to do that through be disciplined, work hard, uh, do this, do that. And um, Christianity is not that way because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly or that you might have it in abundance. And we actually see that here in Exodus chapter 6 where God said, I am the Lord, I will free you, I will redeem you. And it's real interesting, just as a side note, hopefully I don't go too far down this rabbit trail, just as a side note, in the Young's literal translation, let me read it to you in Young's literal. Therefore, say to the sons of Israel, I am Jehovah. And I have brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and have delivered you from their service and have redeemed you by a stretched out arm and by great judgments and have taken you to me for a people. And I have not been, excuse me, and I have been to you for a God and you have known that I am Jehovah, your God, who is bringing you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I have brought you into the land which I have lifted up my hand to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and have given it to you for a possession. I am Jehovah. What's the difference? Do you know, anybody know the difference in those two translations besides their different words? Like Young's literal translation literally says, I have done this. And pretty much every other translation says, I will do this. It's almost like when God said to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. In other words, when God has spoken it, it is done and it is finished. And it is just a matter of time before the temporal world catches up with the reality in which things are. So Young's literal said, I have brought you out from under these things, right? Well, many times we kind of look and we say, well, if the Lord had brought me out from this, then well, why do I still see the same thing? Why does it look like nothing has changed? Because he said he brought me out. And then what we do is we side in with the senses, with what, the, what we get communicated from what we see, hear, feel, touch. We get the sense realm and we put the sense realm above what God has said and what he has declared. God said to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. And Abraham, Romans chapter 4, he did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. See, sometimes we get into unbelief and we don't intend to get in unbelief and sometimes we don't even realize we're in unbelief. But one way you can know that you're in unbelief is you're unsettled and you're not at rest. Hebrews chapter 4 says, they that believe have entered into rest. He that believes has entered into rest. When you believe, there is a rest, and it, it is a, a, a rest of faith. 
And there is such rest in faith because when you are believing God, like we said before, faith is simply like Wigglesworth said, it's like a door that opens access to God himself. So we're not like having faith in faith itself. We're having faith in God himself, right? So our faith is in a person and his name is Jesus. And when we turn away from our senses and we turn to Jesus, there is such rest in that. There is such peace in that. I look full in his wonderful face. Like they lifted up the serpent uh, in the wilderness. Uh, Moses lifted up the serpent. And whoever looked who had been bitten by the snakes, maybe you've been bitten by the snakes of life, maybe you've been bitten by the snakes of bitterness and frustration. Well, whoever looks at Jesus will live. In other words, life, his very life. Uh, the, the, it was the life that was in Christ. That is the life that comes into us. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, Second half of the verse, well, I'll read the whole verse. First half of the verse says, The thief has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come. Thank God he's come. I have come. I have arrived. I have entered into the realm of flesh. I have become fully man, and yet I'm still fully God. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So that word for life is the Greek word zoe. And that word zoe means the very life and nature of God or the same life that God himself, the same life that lets him live, the same life that sustains him, the same life that invigorates him, the same life that flows through his veins is the same life that Jesus said, I've come that you would have this life, that you could live this way. And that life is not just a vitality that makes uh, flesh be alive and animated, but that life is actually actually a nature that you have a different nature that your nature has changed somebody said well you got you got the nature of your father you got the nature of your mother and they're always feisty like that and always this like that you know what if you would just live more conscious of the nature that you got from God himself you'd find that you have a love that dominates the the desires of that flesh to act out and, and snap back and say all these things and in that place there is such rest that you know because that foundation goes beyond what your sense and your body can communicate to you because that 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 um, that rest and that nature is not of this world that actually is from heaven the real uh, eternal world that shall never change heaven and earth well actually heaven and earth shall pass away but uh, my word will never pass away so that comes from him he himself who, who is the word and that word is the most solid foundation in existence in the realm of time or the realm of eternity. See, when you become born again, you actually live in two realms. You live from heaven. The Bible says heaven is our home, but we live in the earth. And so we live in these bodies of clay. And these bodies, your body has not been redeemed. Uh, that the death is the last enemy that will be put underfoot so that we'll actually have redeemed bodies. That doesn't mean that we are not healed because we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Uh, that's healing. But our body is still not redeemed. If you notice, like Paul said in uh, Corinthians, that the outward man is decaying, right? Or, or uh, is coming to death. So as you age, you will age because why? Your body has not been redeemed yet. But you have been delivered from the curse of sickness in every form and in every manifestation so that you don't have to be sick another day in your life, another moment in your life. I have been authorized by God himself 
to tell you that you are healed and you can just get up and be well. You just decide. I have been authorized to tell you that your sins have been forgiven you that your sins actually have been removed from you, that God looked at you, he saw everything that you did, and he counted it up, and he laid it all on Jesus himself, and Jesus openly, freely, and because of love said, I want all of those sins that they don't even know that they will commit. I'm taking them on myself and I, because I want to remove them off of them. He NASA'd them off. We went to go see a rocket launch and we just saw a little flash of it, we, we, you know, in the distance because it was really cloudy. And anyhow, uh, they had another launch. I was either last night or this morning and it was beautiful, clear skies. But we'll have a beautiful, clear sky and see a good launch someday. Okay, so it, it NASA'd it off, right? So I, I'm a child. It was a child in the 80s. And so I always think of the space shuttle and you know watching that shuttle go up and that thing lift off and the mighty force and power that lifted off imagine the mighty force and power that lifted off the sins of every man every woman young and old for all time and for eternity that took those and lifted them off of you that those sins are no longer to your account if God looks at your account and when you've received Jesus he sees cleanness purity holiness righteousness why because all of those were taken off of you and put on Jesus him uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him or in our union with him in your union with him you are the righteousness of God you're as righteous as God himself is you're as righteous as God could make someone you are right with God in other words you, you, you don't have to walk in condemnation and you don't have to walk uh, trying to hide your actions. Remember Adam and Eve? You know, they're walking with God in the garden and they had this close, intimate relationship with God. And then what did they do? Well, they listened to an external voice that was focused on the temporary. And he said to them, did God really say and that's how the enemy always comes, questioning the motivation of God, questioning the motives of God. He said, well, well, God just knows that in the day you do that, you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want you like him. In other words, what's he doing? He is trying to undermine the um, holiness of God. He is trying to undermine the love of God. He is trying to undermine the protection of God. He is trying to undermine the motives. He, he is impugning the motives of God. And so, you know, sometimes the devil will come to you uh, today and he'll say, well, the Lord doesn't want you to do that because he just doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to have fun. Oh, no. God is the God of goodness and grace and mercy. In fact, Psalm 119 says, you are good and you do only good. Every good gift, and, and now I'm quoting another scripture, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, uh, from the Father with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. In other words, there's not even a hint that God would not be good. God is good and he does good. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But before that, he said, the thief has come to only steal, kill, and destroy. So the enemy whispering in your little ear 
is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to steal from you, and he's trying to steal from God. He's trying to kill you, and he's trying to destroy you and destroy your life and destroy all of those that are around you that you influence. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is I can do whatever I want, and it does not affect other people. I can do what I want, and it does not affect other people. You know, um, we, we're reading in Exodus chapter 6, and God said, you know, I will redeem you, or Young's literal, I have redeemed you. This is before he gave the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments were for righteousness' sake. So before you can be righteous, he delivers you and sets you free. So that we look in every other world system, every other um, uh, world view is trying to get you to do good, do good, do good, do enough good, do enough good, do enough good, so that you'll be made righteous. Brandon, will you bring me that In Christ book? So that you'll be made righteous. But that's not the system of God. And the system of God, I love this, this little book called In Christ. It's just like, oh, man, I could eat it all day. Uh, uh, and so it says this. It says, God does not work upon the soul by itself. In other words, I'm going to have to, this is old language, so I'm going to have to really bring it to 21st century. So here's God. Am I in the picture? Is this in the picture? Okay. So here's God, and here's your soul, which, we, you know, he's saying in, in equivalence to your spirit, right? So here's your spirit. And so uh, he's saying God does not work upon the soul by itself. So the soul's over here, and God's like, okay, well, this soul has to, that, that needs to be clean. So, you know, clean up that soul. Make that soul clean bringing to bear upon it, in other words, he's like trying to do something to it from a distance, in its alienation and isolation from him, such discipline as shall gradually render it fit to be reunited to him. Well, what's that mean? Well, in other words, once this soul is disciplined enough, it then qualifies to be united or reunited with God because now it's good enough and clean enough. No, he said... Um, he begins, rather, by uniting it, reuniting it to himself, that through this union he may communicate to it the divine life and energy without which all discipline is utterly futile. Right? In other words, don't try to make yourself good enough and right enough. You can't do it. That's not the path uh, to life. The path to life is you become one with God in union with him. You're united with him. And then out of that unity, you know, Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You may see me, but this is the life of God in me. You may hear good words come from my mouth, but they're not my words. Those are his words. Our life is a life of yieldedness, which is a life of freedom because we're relying upon him and then we rest in the rest of faith we can kind of sit back and relax and be like oh this is great it doesn't mean we're not doing anything actually it means quite the opposite it means that we are running uh, just to keep up with God right so he went on to say the method of grace is precisely the reverse of the method of legalism so legalism uh, um, says you have to be holy so that you can be close to God or one with God. <laughs> but grace says you have to be one with God so you're holy. 
right? So you're not working and working and working and working. I'm going to you know, I, I, I pray enough, and if I pray an hour a day and read an hour a day, then God will do stuff for me because then I will be qualified. No, that, that is not the Scripture. That is actually what Paul says, another gospel. How have you been so removed uh, that you are believing another gospel? Let anyone that preaches another gospel like that be accursed. He said, even if I or an angel from heaven preach another gospel like that, let them be accursed. Right? So an angel from heaven, not an angel from hell, so not a fallen angel. Or I, Paul, myself, a man born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit who speaks in tongues more than all of you, if I preach another gospel, let me be accursed. Right? So, uh, in other words, maybe there were some people preaching another gospel because he said, how have you so soon turned away from how you came into this whole thing? Because you came into this by turning away from all these other things and turning to Jesus and saying, you know what, it's not my works, it's not what I can do, but it is what he did. And what he did for me has forever set me free and has forever given me life and has forever uh, allowed me to really fully live. Because, in other words, until you 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 take up your cross and follow him you will never live you will never have life until you die you must die before you have life just like jesus said you, you know a seed cannot reproduce and for, until it first die right and so we are to see ourselves on the cross with him so that we're no longer living for ourselves, but we live for Him every single day. He took our death, and we identify with our death with Him on the cross so that we can identify with Him in the resurrection. So that He took to the cross all of my unredeemed flesh, all of my unrenewed thoughts, all of my spirit before I was born again, and He severed that connection and he gave me new life and new nature and new ability and that sets me free so in other words I'm not trying to live up to your expectations and I'm not even putting expectations on you like David said my expectation is only on the Lord I, I look to him he's the source of my life he is my help and my strength and so uh, even God he redeemed the Hebrew children before uh, they were given the law of righteousness. So he said, I am, I am redeeming you first. And of course, this was all a type and a shadow of what Christ would ultimately do and ultimately produce, the ultimate redemption, that we were made new creatures in Christ Jesus, that old things passed away and everything has become brand new. But the problem is sometimes we're looking at the natural and not looking at the unseen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us we have to look and see that all things have become new because why? We will look into that mirror and we will reflect that image. So the second that you see, wait a second, I have been made new. I, I am not a filthy, rotten, unworthy person. I am not a bad person. And looking up shame, 
some of the definitions that, you know, you know, there's like main dictionaries and there's other dictionaries. And so I put together some of these definitions. It's unworthy, inadequate. Your whole self is bad or flawed. In other words, there is a difference. Uh, shame is not embarrassment. And shame is not guilt. And embarrassment is not shame. Guilt is not shame. But they can lead to shame. Guilt says, I did something bad. But shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Now, now I've dealt with this in my, in my own, uh, well, my own life, of course. <laughs> but also, uh, my own children, where they would make a mistake. And they're like, uh, I'm just bad. I just always do bad things. I don't do it right. What's wrong with me? Well, you know. Uh, thank God, I guess, that we're not all in the same room because, you know, nobody has to, like, cower in shame. <laughs> to be like, oh, I've never done that. I don't do that. No, the devil works the same with everybody, young and old. He wants to get you full of shame. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, when they sinned, shame came on them. So much so that they had to literally physically cover themselves well if you've ever raised young children you'll find when they do something bad they will physically go hide actually you know for some of you uh, that are going to be having babies real soon uh, let me let me just tell you this maybe they're wearing cloth diapers maybe they're wearing uh, synthetic diapers whatever but some of the first times when they start to realize and they poop You'd be like, why are you hiding behind the couch? Well, you know that child is pooping because they have some shame associated with what they're doing. Right? So, so that shame even causes us, physically speaking, to change. You see someone that's really overtaken in shame and their head's not up. They're always looking down. They, they have a totally different demeanor. And there, there's so many different things, and I'm not trying to go into all those, but I'm just illustrating that shame will affect you. And so shame so affected Adam and Eve, who were really clothed in the glory of God until they sinned, that then they tried to, and they did, make themselves coverings because they had such shame, and they were so conscious of this shame that it caused them to not live as a friend of God. It caused them to be scared when they heard him in the garden. That shame will affect your relationship with God. That shame will affect your relationship with other people. That shame will affect how you see yourself, and that affects then how you live. So guilt, being guilty, saying, uh, you know, yeah, I, I did eat the last cookie. I, I, did, I did say I was going to, you know, uh, save that for other people. <laughs> but I did eat the last cookie. But, but shame says, I'm just a bad person. I always do that kind of stuff. That's just who I am. Well, if you make that mistake and you start living under the shadow of that shame, your whole life will get off track. And you'll become further and further away from the Lord and you'll feel further away and you'll just confess what you feel. You'll be like, I feel so far away from the Lord. Uh, I feel like the, the Lord doesn't even hear me when I pray, right? You're looking at the seen and the felt realm. 
You're, you're, you're building up a consciousness and a solid foundation and belief. Sure enough, that's right. I do feel that way. I do feel that way. Why? Because those thoughts will echo in your mind from the enemy. And those thoughts echoing in your mind long enough, if you don't cast down every vain imagination that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, those echoes will become so strong that you'll begin to echo those echoes. And you will hear those things come out of your mouth. And then uh, as you speak, so will your life be. And you'll wonder, how did I get this far away? Well, it came through this little snake slithering and speaking into your ear, imputing the motives of God, trying to undermine God. And you made the mistake of listening and acting based upon that. First, it comes like as an imagination. Word, imagine things spiritually. Meditate in the Word. See the Word in your imagination. See yourself successful. See yourself um, worthy. See yourself holy. See yourself flowing with God and, and close to God and in a, in a, in a soul-fulfilling love relationship with your Father that is the most satisfying thing that you've ever experienced in your life and it will change your whole demeanor and your whole outlook. But you see yourself as the one that doesn't qualify, as the one who is not experienced enough, as the one who is too undisciplined, as the one who is too erratic, as the one who is too distracted, as the one who is too airheaded, as the one who is too self-centered, and you'll actually push yourself away. Because God will never push you away. He's always inviting you. He's always making a, a, a space for you and making room for you. Psalm 119, uh, verse 6 says, Then will I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all of your commandments. Verse 31, I have stuck unto your testimonies. I love that. You like that? I have stuck unto your testimonies. I have stuck unto your testimonies. So, yesterday, well, okay, if you know, we were on vacation last week, and um, so we were uh, down in Florida, and on the way back, uh, I don't remember where it was, what state it was. Maybe it was Florida. Yeah, it was Florida. Uh, we're driving, and they had these watermelons, this watermelon stand. And these watermelons are not like this that we get at the stores in Virginia. It was like this watermelon. Long, big, and $4 for that watermelon. And we drove by it, and then we went the wrong way anyhow, and I'm like, we, we should have got a watermelon. Why do we not get a watermelon? So we turned around, and we went, and we got a watermelon. And uh, I love it because there's nobody at the stand. It's just a little box. Put your money in. You know, that's the way it should be. Okay. So we got this watermelon, and Evie had to sit with it. Was it Evie, I think? She had to sit with it at her feet, like, for 12 hours home because we didn't have a lot of room. And so this watermelon's there in the car. Well, anyhow... You know, we had some watermelon uh, the other day a little bit when we first got home, and you know, it was still warm. We hadn't chilled it, and it was good. But then Melody put it in the refrigerator and chilled this watermelon. And then she cut me this bowl of watermelon. She's so sweet. I don't even know if she knows that I noticed. But she took most of the seeds out of it, and she put it in this bowl, and this bowl is heaping up, and I am eating this watermelon, and it is like, so good, like melt in your mouth, juicy, like perfect sweetness. I'm like, this is so awesome. This is so good. Well, you know, 
I don't know how much of this story to tell. So, <laughs> so I kind of finish eating my watermelon, and I, I go outside. And I go outside, and I'm like, what is on my hand? And it's like, sticky. And I'm like, what is that? And I thought, I must have not washed my hands fully or got something on them. So I go in, and I wash my hands, and I go back out to, to go do what I was doing. And, like, I wash my hands, and I could feel that they were clean. And I go back out, and the sticky is all over my hand. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa. What is that? So I go wash my hands again. I guess they say the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect different results. So I go and I wash my hands again, and I go outside, and again, and it's not, it's like a, it's like a, a, a substance. It's a residue. Like, it's not just like a little sticky. It's like, I'm like, what is this, and where is it coming from? Well, I have one particular child. I don't know if we should name him or not, Joel. <clears throat> and so <laughs> he like ate his watermelon and he just really gets into the food and he like did the inside and the outside door handle because actually I forgot to tell you, like the third time I thought it must be on the door handle. So I cleaned the door handle, uh, but it was actually on the ins outside and the inside. So I thought it was just one side. <laughs> So that's why I like this verse, because it says, uh, verse 31 of Psalm 119, I have stuck unto your testimonies. Like we ought to have the word, you know, the, 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 the Jewish people, they'll have an, well, I, think, I don't know how you pronounce it, like an amulet that they'll put the word, it's in this little box that they put, the real devout ones, right on their forehead, so it's always right before them, you know, like talk about. Well, I don't want to, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but taking it literally instead of like the spirit of the thing, you know, like the word should always be before, be before your eyes, you know, but you should be able to see it, right? Okay, in, in your imagination, you meditate on it. So, I have stuck under your testimonies, O Lord, put me not to shame. In other words, if you stick yourself to the testimonies of God, to the word of God, shame will have no place in you. Shame will not have a place in you. If Adam and Eve had stuck themselves to what God had said, shame would never have gained entrance into their life. They would never have had to uh, do fake uh, coverings of, of cloth. And why? Well, they're trying to do these coverings of cloth, but because of their sin, someone had to die. So God slew an animal and gave them uh, uh, clothing that was dipped in blood so that they could actually approach God because you cannot approach if you're in sin without the blood, right? So the way we come to God is we come by the very blood of Jesus. And then when Jesus came uh, up till the time of Jesus, they had a blood that would cover their sins, but their sins were still under the blood. The sins could still be found. They could still be remembered. They could still affect how you live your life. But when Jesus came, Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus actually will expunge the consciousness of sins. That, that not only are our sins covered and accounted gone, but that actually the blood of Jesus has the power and penetrates so far into man that it removes the consciousness of the guilt of the sin that you've committed. It takes the shame away. The blood of Jesus is like the shame remover. The blood of Jesus will take all that shame off you. In other words, if you're just trying to say, 
like we read here in this, this little In Christ book, uh, if you're trying to say, uh, no, I've done enough good things so I don't have shame, God loves me because I don't have shame, you're doing it the wrong way. It's the blood of Jesus. And when you realize the power of the blood and what happened on the cross, that when you see Jesus lifted up on the cross, if I be lifted up, I will draw. Like There'll be like a, a tractor beam pull of all men unto me. It'll be like you're in a river, floating down a river, and the waterfall is coming, and you're like, how do I stop my from going to that waterfall but separate this waterfall does not cause destruction this well it kind of does this waterfall will destroy your old man this waterfall will destroy sin this waterfall will destroy sickness this waterfall will destroy poverty this waterfall will destroy shame it'll take it bury it forever so much it'll take it out of existence it will obliterate it because why you you God is is drawing us in he is pulling us in, into himself, because that is the only place that there is true freedom of life and that shame is removed from us, that when we see him on that cross and we see him lifted up, we realize, wait a minute, the blood of Jesus took away what I did, the wrong things that I did, and my wrong way of living or the reason I did the wrong things, the nature of sin is gone. The nature has been removed. The nature has been taken off of me so that I don't have to sin anymore. And this is why 1 John says, if any man sin, that is written to believers, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate if we sin. So why? Because he has taken the nature of sin out of us and he has said, I'm going to give you a new nature, my nature. The same thing that causes me to never sin, that's what's going to cause you to never sin if you live in union with me, right? If you, Jesus said, uh, actually, you can get whatever you want in prayer if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you live from this place, uh, if you have this consciousness, if this consciousness is the meditation of your heart and your imagination, if this consciousness is the mirror that you are looking in, if you realize who you are in Christ, in your union with Him, that in union with Him, it's no longer your power that is going to give you the discipline to live a godly life, but it actually is His power that produces that kind of life in you, that it becomes your very nature that you live just like God, that you speak just just like God, that, it, that, that, it, that it, it, it becomes who you are, that that is who you are. One of my uh, kids said to me yesterday, uh, I, I was just uh, talking to him about something that the, the Lord had put on my heart, and they said to me, they said, Daddy, they said, Daddy, that is so good. Where did you get that? And I said, the words that you hear me speak are not my words. They are from him that lives on the inside of me. And I was dead serious. Like, like you don't come up with anything good, okay? Just let's all confess that together. I do not come up with anything good apart from my union with Christ. And somebody said, well, I don't know. I mean, he made us pretty amazing uh, when he made us in Christ, so I can say I am good. Well, uh, you're going to have to talk that over with Jesus because Jesus said there is none good but God because they called him good teacher. He's directing them even to the source of his goodness, which is God his Father. 
right? And Jesus, yes, he was God in the flesh, and he was good, and he did good, but he would not take that himself, right? And so all of our every good thing and every perfect thing comes down from above. Uh, who are you? What do you think you have that you have not received? Because everything you have, you have received. So if you have received it, Paul said, why then do you boast like it came from you, right? So we talked about this last week. Try me, test me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And Paul said, uh, you know, I could judge my own actions, my own self. My conscience would be clear, but that's not God's judgment. God will judge me right. And so uh, you will really begin to uh, launch out in the things of God when you realize every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. And all of the goodness that you have in you, it comes from God. And any good thing that you can offer, you got it from God. Jesus said so much that he said, uh, everything that you see me do, he said, everything you hear me say and what you see me do, I do not do these works. He said, my father does the works. So maybe if we look at what we did and we have a consciousness that we are the ones that did it, we're not doing it from the right place or the right motivation. Right? Because when we realize it is God in us, I remember I started to get more light on the scripture, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Well, when I first came into, into some of these uh, truths of being in Christ, I, it was so new to me. And I thought, okay, that's what you're supposed to say. But actually, this is not, this is not what you're supposed to say and what you're supposed to do. It's not like trying to be good, trying not to be bad, trying to stop bad things and to start good things. It is being raised from the dead. It is having a new life. That you're not having a form of godliness. But actually, you have been made so new that it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives in you. And if you ever, if you ever take the step to let God live on the inside of you, to let him dominate you, you, you will... Soar like an eagle above the circumstances of life, above the opinions of man, above all of the influences of the world. Because when you know that God loves you and that the blood of Jesus was shed for you, it really doesn't matter what other people's opinion is. When you know that he who is perfect in every way and powerful at every point and present in every place has paid the price for you to be his so much so that you actually become adopted and engrafted into the very family of God that what you used to have flowing in you from a nature and, and a power aspect has been completely refathered from a holy, powerful, omniscient, all-powerful God and that you have been brought into this family not as a servant that you're going to come to serve me but as a son and a daughter that you have been brought in with the privileges of a son and a daughter 
So much so that Jesus himself, that you are, uh, you have a co-inheritance with him. That his inheritance is your inheritance. That his relationship and the same rapport that he has with the Father is the same rapport that he gave us with the Father. That Jesus, this is so intense, that Jesus in John chapter 17 was praying to his Father God, who has become our Father, and he said, Father, I pray, and I'm not praying for just these that can hear me today in, in, in this realm of time, but I'm praying for all those that would also come after them that they would know that you love them as you love me. Perfect love, 1 John chapter 4, casts out all fear. Fear has torment. When you embrace the love of God that he has for you, if it ever dawns on your spirit and you let that, that light in your spirit illuminate your mind and transform you by the renewing of your mind, you will be a different person. People will look at you and say, what happened to you? Why do you have such confidence, such humble confidence? They call that meekness, right? Meekness, that you have all this power and understanding and authority, but it's under control, uh, that you have this humble confidence and this knowing. It does not matter what you throw at me, what the devil throws at me, what, the, what my own physical limitations and mistakes would throw at me. It doesn't matter if I made a mistake and injured myself. God is a redeemer. He has paid the price that that broken bone will be made right, that that broken bone will come back together, uh, that, that, that it doesn't matter uh, whether you did it or someone else did it. Jesus redeemed you from it. And there is no, there is no challenge, there is no problem that is bigger than God. There there is nothing that the devil could come up with that Jesus didn't already pay the price for. But the devil wants to get you in the shame consciousness that you are a special case, that you have a special rules, that you have committed special sins, that these sins have actually caused the power of God to be nullified and void. Well, you say, I wouldn't think that. Well, uh, you're, you're saying that by what you're, how you're acting and how you're thinking. Don't allow those thoughts in your mind. Cast those out. Say, no, how do you cast it out? You say, you know what? I refuse to think that thought. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So first of all, you have to look to God and say, wait a minute, God is my father. Ah, he said, I am Jehovah. I have brought you out. I have redeemed you. I have delivered you. I am Jehovah right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not the wimpy hand. It's a mighty hand. He said, I brought you out with a mighty hand. I brought you out, right? With silver and gold and no weakness. You know, their shoes did not wear out. The curse didn't even affect their shoes or sandals, whatever they were wearing. And they came out with riches and gold and no sick millions of people no sickness and no disease if you think that was just for them then then just go ahead and experience sickness and disease while you live on the earth but if you know that our covenant is better and established upon better promises and jesus is it was a better sacrifice well then you might as well just be well now you might as well just live in divine health you might as well start making some plans to live free from sickness, free from disease, you might as well tell COVID to take a hike and get out of your thinking because it's taken up too much space in your mind. Hallelujah. We have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. 
if, if, if God is holy and if the nature of God is love and if the nature of God is life and God has chosen to unite himself to you, how can it be otherwise than what you would be holy and righteous? If we're united to him, he cannot unite with sinful nature. It can't be otherwise. He is a holy God. Yet when you become a believer, he unites himself with you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Look at how valuable you are. The devil wants to get you thinking and acting his thoughts, which are thoughts that limit you, which are thoughts, more importantly, that limit God. Those thoughts are saying, you're too old. Life has passed you by. You missed your opportunities. Oh, no. Just be like Joshua and Caleb and say, give me this mountain. I see it. You give me this mountain. Be like Daniel. You let God in your life. If you develop the consciousness that I am who God says I am because he says it, and if he said it, he is not a liar. He watches over his word to perform it. So if I declare who I am in Christ, that I am, I am worthy in Christ Jesus, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and so therefore I'm not going to walk like I'm unworthy. I'm going to walk worthy. Therefore, uh, I'm going to expect God to move in my life. Therefore, I'm going to expect that I'm qualified. I'm going to expect that every prayer that I pray is answered because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, dynamic in its working. Dynamic means the energizing force that produces motion and action. When I pray, things happen. When I pray, things change. Why? Because I'm praying from the God who's on the inside of me. He gives me the words to pray. So actually, the reason that there's results is because Jesus himself has come to live on the inside of me so that he can manifest himself and live through me me because so it's because of him not because of me hallelujah let's pray father i thank you for your word i thank you that your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that your word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Father, I pray for every person right now that can hear this. Father, that you would uh, quicken us uh, to your word that, that helps us to, to see and to know the thoughts and intents of our heart. Father, that we don't live for ourselves anymore, any longer, uh, the, but that we live for Jesus every day, that we're set free from fear, fear of performance, fear of embarrassment, fear of guilt, fear of a sinful uh, lifestyle and a sinful nature. Father, I thank you that you've set us free by the blood of Jesus, for the power of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're watching or listening right now and you have never received Jesus Christ, you've never received this life, this, this probably to your natural mind seems like an impossibility. Well, uh, things that are impossible with man become possible with God. All things are possible to him that believes all things are not possible but all things are possible to him that believes and to believe you simply have to choose to turn away from everything else and look to what God has said you look to his word that is the act of believing and you believe so much that you act uh, 
Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, if you, if you reverse back to chapter 4, we find out that he was raised so that we could be declared righteous. One translation says, once we were declared righteous, Christ was raised from the dead. God rose him from the dead when, right, when the righteous requirements had been fulfilled. In other words, when he had so utterly and totally paid the price for sins and the nature of sin that it no longer held dominion over not only him but all of mankind, then he raised from the dead. Then God raised him from the dead. He said, it is done. Everything is taken care of. There is now a complete redemption for all of mankind. Now he can, I can raise him from the dead. So then God rose him from the dead. So that, so that the power of those things would forever be destroyed, forever removed. And so when you take him as your Lord, confess him as your Lord, say, you know what? From your heart, with the heart man believes, with the mouth, you say things that make it a reality, right? So with the heart you believe, with your heart you say, Jesus, I take you as my Lord. I'm calling upon you. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. If you want to do that, make a decision right now in your heart. The devil may be whispering in your ear. Uh, that's what he does. He doesn't have anything new. He just corrupts old things, manipulates old things. So he may say, oh, you could do it later. Don't do it. No, no. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make a change. I want you to do this. I want you to think right now about your life, what's happening in your life, what are you living for? Who are you living for? What, what is the outcome of your way of life? If you look down the road, what is this going to produce? Where are you going to be? Somebody say, well, well, actually, maybe things are going pretty good. You know, I got, I got a nice house, a nice car. I can go on vacation anywhere I want. That's fine. Tell me when you're getting ready to pass from this world to the next. You cannot take any of that with you. Those things are of the earth and they're earthly, and it's a blessing while you're here. But those things will do nothing for you in the, in the eternity of time. The Bible actually says that today's day, while we're alive on the earth, is like a fleeting mist that appears for a while and then is gone. So think of your life. What's the direction of your life? Where are you headed? And make a decision for God. Make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. Make a decision that you're not going to live for yourself anymore, but you're going to live for Jesus. Jesus actually told us, it, it, contrary to the natural way of thinking, he said, he that wants to find his life must lose it. You must give up your life to find real life. If you want to do that, I want you to make a decision in three seconds that you're going to do it and you're going to live for God. Three, two, one. All right, now let's pray. Just repeat after me from your heart. Let, let the words that you hear me say, I'll say it slow, fall on your heart and embrace them in your heart and then speak them out of your mouth and you will be saved. Say this. Say, oh God. Thank you. For bringing this word to me. I take Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe 
that he took my sins and my sinful nature and took it away from me and that you raised him from the dead. He is my Lord and my Savior. I am now a part of your family. Open up your word to me. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, you are born again. With the, according to the belief of your heart and what you've just declared with your mouth and what the word of God said, you are a part of God's family. Your nature has just been completely changed. It's not, it's not like a, 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 a remodel. It's a brand new life in union with God.